Good morning, Mars Hill family. I haven't seen you in a while. I have to look at you all. Yes, you are awesome, all of you. I look forward to being with you all week. If you have your Shed Bible, turn to page 981. We're looking today at John 5, 1 through 9, page 981. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is Aramaic, it's in Aramaic it's called Bethesda, and it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Once there was an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes ahead of me. Then Jesus asked, said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susie. Good morning. The Lord be with you, Mars Hill. If we haven't met, my name is Ashley Island, and it is my joy to be co-pastor, partner with Troy Hatfield. It truly is, and it's good to be with you this morning. Um, we're continuing in this series, week three of Faithfully Curious, and want to open with a quick story, a blast from the past. When I was 16 years old, my parents determined that it was finally time for me to earn my keep. So they asked me to get a job. And I did what most teenagers in the early 2000s would have done. I beelined it to our local mall. And I was walking the mall and I found my favorite store, Guess. That's not an invitation for you to guess, that's the name of the store. And I walked in and I asked for an application and they sent me to the back and I'm filling out the application. It's going great, the questions are easy. I'm like, this is, it's a shoe in for me. I'm gonna get my discount and spend all my hard earnings right back here at this store this summer. When I get to this question, please circle one. Have you ever told a lie? Yes or no? Uh, Brothers, sisters, siblings in Christ, I wish you could have seen the mental gymnastics that ensued. The likes of Simone Biles herself would be jealous as I thought about the surprise parties I'd kept a surprise, the wrapped Christmas gifts I'd been asked, do you know what's in here? And I'd kept my mouth shut. I thought about the one time my friend asked me if the Jennifer Aniston haircut looked good on her. <laughs> I'd lied. But no. The answer, no, that was clearly the answer they were looking for, right? But if I said no, yes. So I circled yes, and I didn't get the job. There are some questions 
that have seemingly easy answers, whether that answer is yes or no. Questions like, is crunching fall leaves underfoot satisfying? That's an easy yes for me. If someone gave you $100 right now, could you figure out what to do with it? Most of us would say yes to that. For some of us watching online or here in the shed this morning, there was a question popped with a little piece of bling attached to it, will you marry me? And for many of us, the answer was an easy yes or no and you're here and better for it. But there are other questions that seem as if they should be easy to answer, yes or no. But when asked, these questions, upon further investigation, expose layers of nuance and self-examination, uncovering more than perhaps what we bargained for. Enter our first closed-ended question of this faithfully curious series, do you want to get well? It's a familiar text for many of us. Jesus, he's in Jerusalem for one of the many festivals. We're not sure which one. But it's interesting, side note, that the text says it's a festival of the Jews, which meant John was writing for the Gentiles too. This text is for everyone. But at festival time, I imagine the place is crowded, it's bustling. The, the temple is a central location where folks might mark the occasion or the celebration at hand. But for whatever reason, we find Jesus not at the temple. We find Jesus not in any of the traditional places one might look come festival time. He's at a pool. The pool of Bethesda, as Susie read for us, which translates to house of mercy, or another translation is house of outpouring. And he's surrounded not by the religious who's who, not by the dignitaries who have come to celebrate. He's surrounded instead by the disabled, by what the text calls an invalid and those like him, literally the weak or invalid of society. Jesus was there in what I bet was the least popular, most avoidable place. And he wasn't just there, but he took the time to see someone. But he didn't just see someone. He learned about this man's condition. Some translations say that he knew. This word in Greek means to perceive or discern clearly, which makes it seem to me as if no one had to tell Jesus about that man, but there was some kind of divine knowing, some sort of supernatural knowing, where Jesus came to know this man. We sang a very dangerous line this morning. First song, Out the Gate. To you our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. Not one thing was hidden about this man to Jesus. And he asks this question, do you want to get well? 
So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at the different parts of this question. We're going to break each part down, and then we're going to look very quickly at this man's reply. We've been taught, Troy has taught us before, that worship is dialogue. So we're going to look intently at the dialogue that happens in the text this morning. And then I'm going to extend two invitations, as we have in weeks past. Do you? Let's start there. Do you? Jesus is not talking to a crowd of people. He's not talking to a gathered church. He's talking to one specific person, and he sees someone who is not used to being seen. He acknowledges someone who's used to being an outcast. But here's what we sometimes forget about being seen by Jesus. It means that without anyone else needing to say a word, will also be known. Can you stand being known so completely? Can you stand it? It's interesting, in previous miracles in John, before chapter 5, these miracles, there were two that were asked of him. This is a partial curiosity of mine. There are plenty of things that we can ask of Jesus, but my question, one of them for us this morning, is are we willing to allow him to ask some questions of us? For some that I know who have been through or are currently going through some sort of faith deconstruction, I wonder whether that's on the other side of disappointment or disequilibrium, Uh, about the concern. My concern is not that people are asking too many questions of Jesus or about the church. I'm wondering if we are allowing Jesus to ask anything back. It's interesting. Um, Dylan and I, as parents, we ask a lot of questions of our kids, close-ended ones. Did you clean your room? Have you finished your homework? What about that instrument practice? Have we practiced this week? We're so used to asking questions that there was one moment where I came home, and Dylan will tell you one of the rhythms of my rule of life in our home is that if dinner's not ready when I'm hungry, I have a little snack. And nine times out of ten, that snack is a bowl of cereal. And y'all, the number of times I've told my children they can't eat cereal before dinner is plentiful. And yet there was one time that I came home, I grabbed myself a bowl of delicious cinnamon toast crunch with some almond milk. I'm eating it in the kitchen, and a little voice pipes up from across the island, and it asks, Mommy, why do you get to eat cereal before dinner, and I do not? You all, that was a really good question. And I didn't really have an answer, but it took me by surprise because I wasn't used to my kids calling me on the carpet asking me a question that I usually ask them. And I realized sometimes, more often than not, I have questions of Jesus. Lord, why did this have to happen this way? Lord, do you even see or hear me? God, how long? But if I'm honest, Mars Hill, It is less often that I am willing for Jesus to ask a question of me. Would we be able to have a knowing question turned in our direction? 
But then the question moves on. There's this word want, which is desire-centric. means to choose or to prefer. This man that we meet in the text has been in this position in his sixth state for 38 years. By the way, about the time that the Israelites took wandering in the desert. Let's talk about here all the fragility of the human condition and to what exactly Jesus chose to be proximate. If this man had been paralyzed for almost four decades, my guess is that muscular atrophy had kicked in. My guess is that he wasn't able to move himself as well as he may have wanted to. My guess is that he wasn't as hygienic as he perhaps was expected to be. Imagine that even he cannot control his bodily functions if he's paralyzed. There's a lot about the human condition that's not stated but understood as we meet this man. And yet, Jesus is posing a question that beautifully confronts his sense of agency. Jesus asks him what he wants. And as I think about Jesus, the one who came not to be served but to serve, asking this man who's likely had very little preference over the past 38 years, I'm shocked by how likely it is that many of us may have been taught that our desires were no interest at all to Jesus. That Jesus wanted our faith, not our desire. That even our desires, if we're not careful, might be disordered so much so that we can't bring them before Jesus at all. And I think about the scene from the cult classic romance movie, The Notebook. It's a love story. And there's this guy, Noah, who's fallen in love with Allie, but Allie goes on to be engaged to some other more well-off man. And then Allie sees that Noah's back in town. She comes to find him. And it's the end of the movie. And Noah asks Allie, what do you want? And y'all, I watched the clip. He asks four times, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And you know what her response is. It's not so simple. It's not that simple. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't ask if he has the faith to be well. Jesus asks him if he wants to be well. What were you taught about your desires? Would you be able to name if Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, were to come to you this Sunday morning and ask you, sitting in your seat, what do you want? What would you say? Or would your answer be a lot like Allie's? And would you reply, Lord, it's not that simple? Then the question continues. He doesn't stop at want. He says, do you want to get well? This is a holistically targeted question. There's obviously one part of who this man is that needs healing. We're presented with it here in the text, his physical state. After 38 years, you might be wondering, why in the world would this man even think about saying no? 
Who would say no to this question? It's interesting as I sat with that. Perhaps it's someone who's worn the pain or disappointment so closely for so long that they wouldn't know who they were without it. And there's an identity crisis. Perhaps someone might say no, who's change-averse, who's more comfortable in a less-than-desirable condition because it's what they know best. Perhaps that person would say no. Or finally, maybe it's someone who's unsure about the burden of wellness. What would now be required of this man if after 38 years he were actually able to step into the throes of society and engage as anyone else might who does not have this condition? I think it's so interesting. Paul Lewis Metzger says this. The moral matrix power brokers likely took no real notice of the man while he was lame. But now that he can walk, they take a special interest in him. They remind him that the law forbids him to carry his mat. While he's on the mat, who notices? Very few if no one. But if this man is able to walk, someone might take notice. As we get to the end of the question, is that all is his physical state all that is broken all that's out of order and in disarray if we were to skip to the end of the passage we'd be in good company with many scholars who would point out these few details in verses 14 and 15 and i'll confess to you all by the time i got done studying this little bit of passage i didn't really know if i liked this man because he never said thank you Jesus came back to find him. This man never said thank you. And yet Jesus issues a warning, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What's that about? And then finally, this man turns Jesus in after knowing in the middle of that passage that the religious leaders were looking for him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Which tells me, was there something else there? Something else not revealed in the passage about his life? Something else about his heart? Something else about his disposition? Something else about his attitude? We may not know for sure if there was something else beyond this physical condition that needed to be healed, but what we do know is that Jesus know, knew. Why? Because in, back in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned or he knew. Jesus knew. When it comes to our brokenness, Jesus is not only willing to heal, but he is able. But are we ready, church, for the healing to be whole, for the healing to be complete, beyond what our eyes can see, beyond what even what we may acknowledge to anyone else in the world? Whole healing is good news if we choose to receive it, despite the cost. And so Jesus asks this question, and this man issues a reply. 
I find it so funny that it's a closed-ended question, and yet this man doesn't give a simple yes or no answer. Let's look again at verse 7. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Let's stop it, sir, for a moment, shall we? Quick story, another one. When Delwyn Island and I first met, I don't know if I've told you the story, it was on a stairwell. And I was preparing at the time for a young adults event in a large auditorium. We were running behind, so I was skipping concrete stairs just to get to the second floor. And as I'm heading up the first set of stairs, I see a gentleman on crutches, making his way up each and every stair slowly, looking like he's lost, because surely no one would choose to crutch up all these stairs when there's a perfectly good elevator available. So I get to the top of the stairs, and I'll tell you the truth, I felt a little convicted by the spirit. It was a little rude. So I walked back down, and I said to Delwyn Island, sir, May I help you to an elevator? And Delwyn's reply was one I'll never forget. Maybe Delwyn forgot that he said this. But he said, nah, I got this. And I went on about my merry way. I said, Jesus, I did what you told me to do. I can go ahead and set up. And there's a longer story after that. But what I'm trying to remind you is I didn't know Delwyn. He was a stranger to me. I had no idea the role that he would eventually play in my life. And what do you call someone, if you're a Southern Texan girl like me, when you first are introduced or meet someone, you call them sir. It's so funny to me that though this is a sign of respect, this man doesn't call Jesus stranger. He doesn't give him his name. He doesn't ask for his name. He just calls him sir illuminating the fact that we can have an encounter with Jesus, Mars Hill, and it not be an intimate one. We can have Jesus in our very presence and not know who it is that we're talking to. Then he continues and he says, I have no one. This is a peek into this man's perspective. First off, anyone else notice, like our teaching team did this week, that he didn't really answer the question. The question that he seems to be answering might be more like, why aren't you better yet? Why haven't you been healed yet? And he goes on and explains that he has no one to carry him to the pool, to put him into the pool, and every time he, he tries, someone else goes ahead of him. He has all these reasons. Some might even say excuses. And if you would go back to last week, week two of this series, Pastor Troy talked about how the narrative of one's life might be factually accurate, but also short of the truth because of the narrative that gets told. I wonder, we wonder together, perhaps, 
Was this something that this man repeated over and over and over again? It's what he experienced over and over and over again. And if you're into neurological science, there are new maps, new brain patterns, new ways of thinking that get formed over time. And, and maybe this man has answered this question before, but that's not what Jesus asked him. Marcel, because of the narrative that you've been playing over and over again, are you able to answer the questions that Jesus is actually asking you? Or are you responding with your life to a question that Jesus isn't asking? What ends up happening is both miraculous and controversial. It's miraculous in a couple of ways. First, Jesus commands the man to get up and walk, and the man is healed. But I actually think there's another miracle here. The man actually did it. He actually got up. He actually chose to take Jesus' advice. He actually decided to take action. And I can't help but wonder if in the process of healing this man's paralysis, Jesus healed something else along with it. His desire. And this man's willingness was made whole along with his legs. That's a whole healing. And yet this is controversial because Jesus didn't just say, get up and walk. That's not what the text says. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. But here's the thing, church. There's only one tiny little issue. It was the Sabbath. And per texts like Jeremiah 17... If you were to go to Jeremiah 17, 21, this is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Picking up his mat was against the law. Picking up his mat was risky. Picking up his mat put him in the way of the religious leaders who are now interested in what's going on. And if we were to have a part two to just this text, we would talk a little bit about how the religious leaders fixated not on the miracle, but on the accusation, on the law being broken, on what wasn't heeded. Can't help but wonder. Salvation is always good news but it's no guarantee to us that it'll be safe. This Jesus-initiated, desire-centric, holistically targeted question indeed resulted in a miracle. But the miracle was risky for both this man and for Jesus. This is the beginning of the mountain of accusation and open hostility that would come against Jesus from the religious authorities, eventually culminating in his death by crucifixion. So as we 
conclude, I want to extend us to very simple, but what I hope you find are meaningful invitations. And we hope you're faithfully curious about these two questions. The first is this, what needs to be made well that can and cannot be seen? What needs to be made well in you that can and cannot be seen? Church, I've told you about physical ailment, but there's a lot I haven't told you because you can't see it. And perhaps I can't see it either. Do you know? Would you want to know? Maybe it has something to do with intimacy with Jesus and your desire. Maybe it is physical. Maybe it's spiritual, mental, or emotional. But one challenge for you this week, take this question. If you're a journaler, journal about it. But perhaps we also turn these into a couple breath prayers as we go throughout the week. The first could sound something like this. I want fill in the blank. What do you want? Tap into your desire. Bring it before Jesus. Please make me well, Lord. Inhale. I want my desires to be good. Please make me well, Lord. Exhale. Or maybe it sounds something like this. I want to know my sickness. Inhale. Exhale. Please, Lord Jesus, show me. There's another one that I'm just thinking of now. This man wasn't asked by Jesus to bring his faith. So perhaps your prayer is, Jesus, heal me, whether I have the faith for you too or not. What would it feel like to consider that question in this season and in the next and in the next? The second invitation is this. What are you willing to risk in order for Jesus to heal you wholly? Are you willing to risk the unknown? Are you willing to risk humiliation? Are you willing to risk coming up against powers that may want to be against you, whether earthly or in the heavenly realms? What are you willing to risk? The unknown, the loss of control. It's not lost on me that there might be some individuals here today that are dressed the part, but you're hiding a tattered soul. Do you want to be well? For families, you're here on time every week, but you're falling apart inside the four walls of your home. Do you want to be well? And to the church, for all that we do, faithfully even, to protect a guise of sufficiency and strength, all while nursing, imperfections, perhaps even foundational cracks for this church and the church of the world. Do we want to be well? I love what Archbishop William Temple says. He says, so long Israel wandered, unable to reach the promised land. It's not only individuals, but nations that lose strength. Yet many receive it again from Christ, not only a nation, but a church. Do you want to get well?
we transition from the text to the table. And it's so powerful to note that at a place called Bethesda, a place of mercy, of outpouring, you found the broken. And at this table, this is a place of mercy, of outpouring. And yet we find not an invalid's broken body, but we find our Lord's. But here's the twist. This that is broken and poured out doesn't make us broken. We come here every week to be made well. For all the ailments that we can name and the ones that we cannot, this meal is our nourishment and our grace. So I say to you, church, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. In the spirit of thanksgiving, would you pray with me now? How right and good and a joyful thing it is at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so, therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray as the broken, as the invalids, that you make whole, that through this meal you would remind us of your mercy you would remind us of your salvation. God, do not find us ungrateful, God. But would you continue to heal us, continue to heal the places that we know and those that we do not. The power of your spirit to the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the story at this table goes like this. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread he gave thanks, and then he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my body, poured, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. And so church, we join and we proclaim the mystery of our faith with three simple phrases that remind us of this good news. 
But the story doesn't end at death. The story doesn't end at brokenness. But a true healing in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so we say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Now all things are ready. We have allergen-free elements, each one of the aisles around you. We'll also have our hosts here to serve you. And personally, if you choose to come down this aisle at the center as well. I'd also encourage you to pray with our prayer team. We've got at least two sisters and maybe a brother in the back ready to pray for you. Perhaps something has been stirred where you say, I'm curious to know, Lord. What is it that you may want wholly healed? We also have these uh, pieces of paper in the back. Please feel free to write down your prayer and stick it in the prayer walls. Our staff is honored to pray for you each and every week, and we do so by name. We take that honor very seriously. So um, engage as you feel led. But now that all things are ready, come and receive who you are, the body of Christ.